Welcome to the Hackberry House of Chosun. My name is Bob, and I'm reading today from a book written by Charles Spurgeon. Actually, it's a book of sermons. Can't get away from that. He was just writing sermons and putting them in books. I don't know if we'll read the whole book, but let's try the first message anyway. It's called simply The Bible, and everything in this book is about the Bible. His text is Hosea 8.12. I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange, <clears throat> strange thing. So this is God's complaint against Ephraim. It's no mean proof of this goodness that, that he stoops to rebuke his erring creatures. It is a great argument of his gracious disposition that he bows his head to notice terrestrial affairs. He might, if he pleased, wrap himself with night as with a garment. He might put the stars around his wrist for bracelets and bind the suns around his brow for a coronet. He might dwell alone, far, far above this world, up in the seventh heaven, and look down with calm and silent indifference upon all the doings of his creatures. He, he might do as the heathens supposed their Jove did sit in perpetual silence, sometimes nodding his awful head to make the fates move as he pleased, but never taking thought of the little things of earth, disposing of them as beneath his notice, engrossed within his own being, swallowed up within himself, living alone and retired, and, and as one of his creatures might uh, stand by night upon a mountaintop, look upon the silent stars and say, You are the eyes of God, but you look not down on me. Your light is the gift of his omnipotence, but your rays are not smiles of love to me. God, the mighty creator, has forgotten me. I am a, a despicable drop in the ocean of creation, a, a sear leaf in the forest of beings, an, an atom in the mountain of existence. He knows me not. I am alone, alone alone. But it is not so, beloved. Our God is of another order. He notices every one of us. There's not a sparrow or a worm, but is found in his decrees. There's not a person upon whom his eye is not fixed. Our most secret acts are known to him. Whatever we do, or bear, or suffer, the eye of God still rests upon us, and we are beneath his smile, for we are his people, or beneath his frown, for we have erred from him. Oh, how ten thousandfold merciful is God, that looking down upon the race of man, he does not smile it out of existence. We see from our text that God looks upon man, for he says of Ephraim, I have written to him the great things of my law, but they were counted as a strange thing. But see how when he observes the sin of man, he does not dash him away and spurn him with his foot. He does not shake him by the neck over the gulf of hell until his brain doth reel and then drop him forever and ever. But rather, he comes down from heaven to plead with his creatures. He argues with them. He puts himself, as it were, upon a level with the sinner states his grievances, and pleads his claim. O Ephraim, I have written unto thee the great things of my law, but they have been unto thee as a strange thing. I come here tonight in God's stead, my friends, 
to plead with you as God's ambassador to charge many of you with a sin, to lay it to your hearts by the power of the Spirit so that you may be convinced of sin, of righteousness, and of a judgment to come. The crime I charge you with is the sin of the text. God has written to you the great things of his law, but they've been unto you as a strange thing. It is concerning this blessed book, the Bible, that I mean to speak tonight. Here lies my text, this word of God. Here is the theme of my discourse, a theme which demands <clears throat> excuse me, more eloquence than I possess, a subject upon which a thousand orators might speak at once, <clears throat> a mighty, vast, incomprehensive theme which might engross all eloquence throughout eternity, and still it would remain unexhausted. Concerning the Bible, I have three things to say tonight. They're all in my text. First, its author, I have written. Secondly, its subjects, the great things of God's law. And thirdly, its common treatment. It has been accounted by most men a strange thing. First then, concerning this book, who is the author? The text says that it is God. I have written to him the great things of my law. Well, here lies my Bible. Who wrote it? I open it, and I find it consists of a series of, of tracts. The, the first five tracts were written by a man called Moses. I turn on, and I, I find other. Sometimes I see David is the penman, at other times Solomon. Here I read Micah, then Amos, then Hosea. As I turn further on to the more luminous pages of the New Testament, I see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Peter, James, and others. But when I shut up the book, I ask myself, who is the author of it? Do these men jointly claim the authorship? Are they the compositors of this massive volume? Do they, between themselves, divide the honor? Our holy religion answers, no. This volume is the writing of the living God. Each letter was penned with an almighty finger. Each word in it dropped from the everlasting lips. Each sentence dictated by the Holy Spirit. Albeit that Moses was employed to write his histories with his fiery pen, God guided that pen. Oh, it may be that David touched his harp and let sweet psalms of melody drop from his fingers, but God moved his hands over the living strings of his golden harp. It may be that Solomon sang canticles of love or, or gave forth words of consummate wisdom, but God directed his lips and made the preacher eloquent. If I follow the thundering Nahum when his horses plow the water or Habakkuk, when he sees the tents of Cushan in affliction, if I read Malachi, when the earth is burning like an oven, if I turn to the smooth page of John who tells of love, or the rugged, fiery chapters of Peter who speaks of the fire devouring God's enemies, or if I turn to Jude who launches forth anathemas upon the foes of God, everywhere I find God speaking. It is God's voice, not man's. 
The words are God's words. The words of the eternal, the invisible, the almighty, the Jehovah of this earth. This Bible is God's Bible. And when I see it, I seem to hear a voice springing up from it saying, I am the book of God. Man, read me. I am God's writing. Open my leaf, for I was penned by God. Read it, for he is my author, and you will see him visible and manifest everywhere. I have written to him the great things of my law. Well, how do you know that God wrote the book? That is just what I shall not try to prove to you. I could, if I pleased, to a demonstration, for there are arguments enough, there are reasons enough, did I care to occupy your time tonight in bringing them before you, but I shall do no such thing. I might tell you, if I pleased, that the grandeur of the style is above that of any mortal writing, and that all the poets who have ever existed could not with all their works united give us such sublime poetry and such mighty language as is to be found in the scriptures. Oh, I might insist upon it that the subjects of which it treats are beyond the human intellect, that man could never have invented the grand doctrines of a trinity in the Godhead, Man could not have told us anything of the creation of the universe. He could never have been the author of the majestic idea of providence, that all things are ordered according to the will of one great supreme being and work together for good. I, I might enlarge upon its honesty, since it tells the faults of its writers, its unity, since it never belies itself, its master simplicity, that he who runs may read it. And I might mention a hundred more things which would all prove to a demonstration that the book is of God, but I come not here to prove it. I am a Christian minister, and you are Christians, or profess to be so, and there is never any necessity for Christian ministers to make a point of bringing forth infidel arguments in order to answer them. It is the greatest folly in the world. Infidels, poor creatures, do not know their own arguments till we tell them, and then they glean their blunted shafts to shoot them at the shield of truth again. It is folly to bring forward these firebrands of hell, even if we are well prepared to quench them. Let men of the world learn error of themselves. Do not let us be propagators of their falsehoods. True, there are some preachers who are short of stock and want to fill them up, but, but God's own chosen men need not do that. They are taught of God, and God supplies them with matter, with language, and with power. There may be someone here tonight who has come without faith, a man of reason, a, a freethinker. With him I have no argument at all. <clears throat> I profess not to stand here as a controversialist, but as a preacher of things that I know and feel. But I, too, have been like him. And there was an evil hour when once I slipped the anchor of my faith. I cut the cable of my belief. I no longer moored myself hard by the coasts of revelation. I allowed my vessel to drift before the wind. I said to reason, be thou my captain. I said to my own brain, be thou my rudder. And I started on my mad voyage. Well, thank God it is all over now. But I will tell you its brief history. It was one 
hurried sailing over the tempestuous ocean of free thought. I went on, and, and as I went, the skies began to darken. But to make up for that deficiency, the waters were brilliant with coruscations of brilliancy. I saw sparks flying upwards that pleased me, and I thought, if this be free thought, it is a happy thing. My thoughts seemed gems, and I scattered stars with both my hands, but anon, instead of these coruscations of glory, I saw grim fiends, fierce and horrible, start up from the waters, and as I dashed on, they, they gnashed their teeth and grinned upon me. They seized the prow of my ship and dragged me on, while I, in part, gloried at the rapidity of my motion, but, but yet shuddered at the terrific rate with which I passed the old landmarks of my faith. As I hurried forward with an awful speed, I began to doubt my very existence. I doubted if there were a world. I doubted if, if there were such a thing as, as myself. I went to the very verge of the dreary realms of unbelief. I went to the very bottom of the sea of infidelity. I doubted everything. But here the devil foiled himself, for the very extravagance of the doubt proved its absurdity. Just when I saw the bottom of that sea, there came a voice which said, And can this doubt be true? At this very thought I awoke. I started from that death dream, which God knows might have damned my soul and ruined this my body if I had not awoke. When I arose, faith took the helm. From that moment I doubted not. Faith steered me back. Faith cried, Away, away! I cast my anchor on Calvary. I lifted my eye to God, and here I am alive and out of hell. Therefore I speak what I do know. I have sailed that perilous voyage. I have come safe to land. Ask me again to be an infidel. No, no, I have tried it. It was sweet at first, but bitter afterwards. Now lashed to God's gospel more firmly than ever, standing as on a rock of adamant, I defy the arguments of hell to move me, for I know in whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him. But I shall neither plead nor argue this night. You profess to be Christian men, or else you would not be here. Your profession may be lies, and what you say you are may be the very contrary to what you really are. But still, I suppose you all admit that this is the word of God. A thought or two, then, upon it. I have written to him the great things of my law. First, my friends, stand over this volume and, and admire its authority. This is no common book. It is not the sayings of the sages of Greece. Here are not the utterances of philosophers of past ages. If these words were written by man, we might reject them. But, oh, let me think the solemn thought that this book is God's handwriting that these words are God's. Let me look at its date. It is dated from the hills of heaven. <laughs> Let me look at its letters. They flash glory on my eye. Let me read the chapters. They're big with meaning and mysteries unknown. Let me turn over the prophecies. They are pregnant with unthought-of wonders. Oh, book of books, 
and wast thou written by my God? Then will I bow before thee. Thou book of vast authority, thou art a proclamation from the emperor of heaven. Far be it from me to exercise my reason in contradicting thee. Reason, reason, thy, thy place is to stand and find out what this volume means, not to tell what this book ought to say. Come thou, my reason, my intellect, sit thou down and listen. For these words are the words of God. I do not know how to enlarge on this thought. Oh, if you could ever remember that this Bible was actually and really written by God. Oh, if you had been led into the secret chamber of heaven, if you had beheld God grasping his pen and writing down these letters, then surely you would respect them. But they are just as much God's handwriting as if you had seen God write them. This Bible is a book of authority. It's an authorized book, for God has written it. Tremble, tremble, lest any of you despise it. Mark its authority, for it is the word of God. Well, then, since God wrote it, mark its truthfulness. If I had written it, there would be worms of critics who would at once swarm on it, and it would be covered with their evil spawn had I written it. Had I written it, there would be men who would pull it to pieces at once, and perhaps quite right, too. But this is the word of God. Come, search, ye critics, find a flaw. Examine it from its genesis to its revelations and, and find an error. And this is a vein of pure gold, unalloyed by quartz or any earthly substance. This is a star without a speck, a sun without a blot, a light without darkness, a moon without its paleness, a glory without a dimness. Oh, Bible, it cannot be said of any other book that it is perfect and pure. But of thee we can declare all wisdom is gathered up in thee without a particle of folly. This is the judge that ends the strife where wit and reason fail. This is the book untainted by any error, but is pure, unalloyed, perfect truth. Why? Because God wrote it. Ah, charge God with error, if you please. Tell him that his book is not what it ought to be. I've heard men with prudish and mock modesty who would like to alter the Bible. And, and I almost blush to say it. I have heard ministers alter God's Bible because they were afraid of it. Have you never heard a man say, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not, what does the Bible say? Shall be damned. But that does not happen to be polite enough, so they say shall be condemned. Gentlemen, pull the velvet out of your mouths. Speak God's word. We want none of your alterations. I've heard men in prayer, instead of saying, make your calling and election sure, say, make your calling and salvation sure. Pity they were not born when God lived far, far back, that they might have taught God how to write. Oh, impudence beyond all bounds, oh, full-blown self-conceit to attempt to dictate to the all-wise, to teach the omniscient and instruct the eternal. Strange that there should be men so vile as to use the penknife of Jehoiakim, to cut passages of the, of the word because they are unpalatable. O oh, ye who dislike certain portions of the Holy Writ, rest assured that your taste is corrupt and that God will not stay for your little opinion. 
Your dislike is the very reason why God wrote it, because you ought not to be suited. You have no right to be pleased. God wrote what you do not like. He wrote the truth. Oh, let us bend in reverence before it, for God inspired it. It is pure truth. Here from this fountain gushes aquavita, the waters of life, without a single particle of earth. Here from this sun there comes forth rays of radiance, without the mixture of darkness. Blessed Bible, thou art all truth. Yet once more, before we leave this point, let us stop and consider the merciful nature of God. In, in having written us a Bible at all, uh, he, he might have left us without it to grope our dark ways as blind men seek the wall. He might have suffered us to wander on with the star of reason as our only guide. I, I recollect a story of Mr. Hume who so constantly affirmed that the, the light of reason is abundantly sufficient. Being at a good minister's house one evening, he had been discussing the question, declaring his firm belief in the sufficiency of the light of nature. On leaving, the minister offered to hold him a candle to light him down the steps. He said, oh no, the light of nature will be enough, the moon will do. Well, it so happened that the moon was covered with a cloud, and he fell down the steps. Ah, said the minister, you, you better have had a little light from above after all, Mr. Hume. Well, so supposing the light of nature to be sufficient, we had better have a little light from above too, and then we shall be sure to be right. Better have two lights than only one. The light of creation is a bright light. God may be seen in the stars. His name is written in gilt letters on the brow of night. You may discover his glory in the ocean waves, yea, in, in the trees of the field. But it's better to read it in two books than in one. You will find it here in the Bible more clearly revealed, for he has written this book himself. He's given you the key to understand it, if you have the Holy Spirit. Ah, beloved, let us thank God for this Bible. Let us love it. Let us count it more precious than much fine gold. But let me say one thing before I pass on to the second point. If this be the word of God, what will become of some of you who have not read it for the last month? Month, sir, I have not read it this year. I, there are some of you who have not read it at all. Most people treat the Bible very politely. They have a small pocket volume, neatly bound. They put a white pocket handkerchief around it and carry it to their places of worship. When they get home, they, they lay it up in a drawer till next Sunday morning. And then it comes out again for a little bit of a treat and goes to chapel. That's all the poor Bible gets in the way of an airing. That's your style of entertaining this heavenly messenger. There's dust enough on some of your Bibles to write damnation with your fingers. There are some of you who have not turned over your Bibles for a long, long, long while. And what do you think? I tell you blunt words, but true words. What will God say at last? When you shall come before him, he shall say, Did you read my Bible? No. Well, I wrote you a letter of mercy. Did you read it? No. Rebel, I sent you a letter inviting you to me. Did you read it? Lord, I never broke the seal. I kept it shut up. Wretch, says God. Then you deserve hell. 
If I sent you a loving epistle and you would not even break the seal, what shall I do to you? Oh, let it not be so with you. Be Bible readers. Be Bible searchers. We'll go on to the second point next time. Charles Spurgeon, the Bible. This is the Hackberry House of Chosun. Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.